Epps, Holloway, Deloach, and Hopkemeyer is a boutique law firm with the ability to deliver large firm experience with personal attention to relationships that their clients deserve. The lawyers and staff are dedicated to service in our local community and throughout Northeast Georgia. They take pride in treating their clients with attention expected from a small-town firm while delivering legal services with unsurpassed skill and efficiency. The firm has attorneys that specialize in civil litigation, criminal law, and estate planning, and elder law. You can contact the firm at 706-508-4000 or check out their website at www.ehdhlaw.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J, and Happy New Year to each of you. It is 2021 now. Crazy, right? And it feels so good to be back here with all of you. It seems like it has been an eternity since we've done this, so I hope you're all doing well and that you were able to welcome this new year as an opportunity to grow and to find happiness in the small things. And, you know, 2020 really did pointedly remind us to keep our families closer than ever. So I hope that you won't forget that as we move forward. And I hope you had a wonderful holiday season all around, however you celebrated. You know, when the clock struck midnight and we turned a page into 2021, I was really filled with so much gratitude. I cannot tell you how much for each of you and our journey together. Uh, We started out as a small podcast telling the story of Tara Louise Baker and who she was and the life she lived. And that quickly turned to a community-led effort right here in the Classic City to have your collective voices heard, your truths placed on the record, regardless of which direction they pointed, all to better help us sort through 20 years of information or, as some might put it, lack thereof. We've spent over 25 weeks together, and me and the Baker family have spent even more time together combing through all that we could find, from newspapers and police records to interview transcripts, and perhaps most importantly, we've listened to people who love Tara most who knew her best, and those of you who had stories to tell of what you remember not only about who Tara was, but what could have possibly happened to someone like her, someone so good, someone with such a bright future. It's a question that still bothers me as we move into this new year, and I really hope that together, one day, we will know the truth. The new year also brought, as I know all of you are thinking about it, a startling revelation that for me carries really a deep burden, that it will mark 20 years on January 19th since Tara Louise Baker was killed, since the family's North Star, as Miss Virginia called her in episode 1, was taken from this world in a brutal act of violence. It marks 20 years since someone entered her home at 160 Fawn Drive and decided to murder her. 20 years that the Baker family has been left wondering who that person is, why they might still be walking around, and why little to no answers have come their way until now. When I started this podcast, I told Miss Virginia this, if we can tell Tara's story and remind those people from Athens back then and tell new people now of the light that Tara was and had people fall in love with the life that she led, that perhaps then people would be compelled to come forward. And I feel like all of you have done exactly that. You've come forward and through for Tara and her family. 
in full bravery, many of you speaking out after years of fear or having to admit to things from your past that can't be easy, I cannot imagine. And you've spoken out even after experiencing the feelings of not being heard before. Or perhaps without even knowing that a small detail that you possessed could mean something huge in this woven web of this story. You know, when you take a good look at the news articles and you speak with the Baker family for the amount of time that I have and you talk to sources inside and outside of the police department, you find that we really have just taken a deeper look at people the police have already looked at in regards to who could have been involved. Why? To seek public help. In 20 years, if the same things are not working over and over again, why not try something new? I think seeking help in a new, public way was paramount, and I think that you've heard a lot here. You've heard about the classmate, the boyfriend, the attorney, the maintenance man, a character we call D, and yes, the spider and the ant. And you know, my goal here was never to incriminate any of them specifically, but instead to tell your stories and your personal truths about what you knew to be true about Tara and these characters, too. To eliminate to encourage others to speak out, to vindicate those who have been wrongly accused, to see where most of the arrows point. And what we have found in doing that, I believe, is not necessarily a lot of arrows, but a lot of lines that are constantly overlapping. They are lines that are drawn consistently between a few key people that seem hard for anyone to be able to ignore, whether it's me, the family, and I'm sure many of you that are listening, too. So with that, I want to return our focus this week, in this new year, to one of those people that has been caught in many of those crossing lines over and over again. Ant. Now, I wish I could come to you and tell you that over the holidays I got to speak to him, but we all know that that's unfortunately never going to happen. You'll recall that after Tara was killed, her home was not burglarized beyond her laptop computer being stolen, and that has never been recovered. Now, this has led to many questions that I think have been very valid to be asked by me, the family, and all of you. Was the laptop just what happened to be in plain sight and available as the killer left? Was it taken for its value in selling it for drugs? Or was the laptop missing for a more specific and calculated reason? To hide communication or damning evidence, perhaps, against someone involved? I'd really like to hear what all of you have come to think about this, so be sure to let me know, classiccitycrime at gmail.com. But one thing is certain. There is a man who reached out to me very early on, before many other persons of interest ever came to light or were looked at, that told me about a story regarding this laptop. And you've heard us mention it many times here before. Now, is there any way to prove that it was in this man's hands? Well, no, because he says the laptop didn't stay there. But he did suggest to me that it was true that Aunt brought him Tara's laptop in exchange for drugs shortly after her murder on Fawn Drive. And I'll admit, when this individual first reached out, I didn't really know what to think, and I didn't really know if this was something that I should look into really deeply. But then there was that moment with Miss Virginia that really changed everything. It wasn't a recorded conversation or an interview, it was just one of our nightly chats that we've had very often in this journey together. And one night as we were wrapping up our conversation, she said, You know, I've heard so many things. I was once even standing at the arch and someone walked by and said, We all know the ant 
did it. And we kind of went back and forth on what that could possibly mean, and then I realized that it was a connection. A connection to the same man this guy said brought him the laptop. So I thought after all this time, it was finally time to ask again for him to come on the record for an interview, because I want to know what really happened beyond an online exchange between the two of us. I wanted to ask the tough questions about his relationship not just to one, but two persons of great interest in this case. I want to know, did he go to the police, and why should each of you believe his story 20 years later? I got to ask about all of this in an exclusive interview, which I'm going to play for you right now. All right, well, first thing that I wanted to ask you was, you know, um, you came to me really early on in this, kind of before a lot of people, excuse me, told me about Ant and him possibly possessing Tara's laptop. Can you tell me more about what happened there? We, uh, we were at my apartment. And Aunt came over and tried to sell me the laptop and basically pawn it for drugs to me. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do it because he couldn't unlock it. So. How, how long after Tara's death would you say this was? I mean, within days. Okay. Um, did he mention anything about where he got the laptop from? He just said he got it from his white girl. That's what he told me. From his white girl? Yeah. Okay. Um, did he ever tell you or anybody around you any details about what happened to Tara or anything like that? Nah, he never gave me details. I mean, I know that he told other people details, but he didn't tell me. Um, and you didn't take the laptop because he couldn't unlock it. Um, did you see Tara's name on the laptop or anything like that? I did. Okay, and that's kind of how you made the connection? Yep. Okay. Um, did you go to the police ever about this? I did. Okay, what did the police say to you? They just told me they'd look into it. Mm-hmm. And they never contacted you again? Nope. Okay. So there are some people, of course, you know, when I'm doing this, that always say, <laughs> you know, um, why should we believe all these stories? Um, what what can you say to people when they might say, well, why should we believe this? What would you tell them? Uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm not the perfect person, but, you know, something, I mean, something is just wrong. And the reason that I told the police when I told them is because, you know, it was wrong that Tara had no, no, no reason to die the way she did, and it hurt me to my heart the way it happened, and, you know, I couldn't keep it on my conscience. Did you know Aunt very well? I knew Aunt through drugs, like, he was a, we were around the same scene, so, I mean, I didn't know him really well, but I knew him well enough. I mean, I know, I know what he did. I know he, he robbed people who supported his drug habit. And I know that he was a very good person. One final question that I had for you, um, you know, you've been very, very thorough with me, so our interview doesn't take as long, and we've talked about you on the podcast before, but did you ever know anything about the attorney that people have come forward about regarding, you know, who might have possibly known Ant? Had you ever heard any con- conversations about that? You know, it was, it was always said that, you know, it was an attorney that was buying drugs and stuff and that he would go through it to get drugs, to get drugs. 
And did you hear those conversations around the time of Tara's death too? Yes. Okay, all right. So once this man came forward and Miss Virginia and I had our conversation, this sort of put Aunt higher on the radar in our search for the truth. Then this woman, you'll remember, who was about 16 or 17, came forward as she recalled Aunt confessing that he had some involvement in Tara's death. The young woman I told you at the time was also able to pick the attorney out of a photo lineup as someone she thought she knew. I'll tell you this too, there have been other people since that woman reached out who have emailed in or who have met with me saying they knew the aunt and his odd behavior at the time and his reported claims to have killed Tara. But some of them weren't necessarily willing to go on the record. But over our holiday break, just as I had hoped and prayed, some buzz started online. So there's another group on Facebook, which someone told me about in my research on another case, which really focuses on people sharing memories of the glory days here in the Classic City. And someone recently posted a photo of Tara in which a few people shared memories of Tara, Others talked about how they couldn't believe the case hadn't been solved yet, but there was something else that really caught my eye, and I started to notice this common emoji coming up in the comments. The ant emoji. I wondered if some of these people were ready to speak out. I wondered if they had more they could add to the conversation, and they did. This really will be a You Decide episode as to what you think about their stories as we hear from people who knew Ant best, and tell not only of the life he was leading at the time, but of his very detailed accounts of what he said happened to Tara Louise Baker on January 19th, 2001, nearly 20 years ago. We'll be right back. All right, so we have several Classic City Crime announcements for you as we move throughout this new year and this new season and this final approach to Tara's case. We want you to be on the lookout for two big events that we're going to be hosting along with the Baker family. One will be an online virtual memorial service to keep everyone safe during these times and to remember Tara in a unique and honorable way on her 20-year anniversary of her death. We will do it on her birthday, January 20th. We're also going to be hosting a virtual 5K for all of you to take part in, and guess what? By participating, you're going to be helping establish a special 20-year anniversary scholarship fund for a law student in Tara's memory. We're going to be announcing all of this soon, so be sure to sign up for our email list on our website, ClassicCityCrime.com, or follow us on Instagram or Facebook for the latest. And with that, let's get back to episode 23. Welcome back. Before we dig in, I did want to let you in on a little Classic City Crime Insider Scoop. We'll be releasing soon a three-part series on the murder of Athens businessman T.K. Hardy and the media frenzy that ensued here back in the late 70s in the Classic City. So be sure to join us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the loop on when that is out. We have interviews with many people you don't want to miss, and this truly is a story of Athens crime history. A tale of murder, a conviction, an escape, and even a release, right here on Classic City Crime. But for now, let us renew our focus on the person most people reached out about during the holidays, Ant. 
Let me begin by saying these are personal accounts, and even these individuals have their own beliefs as to what could have happened based on what and who they knew. These statements and theories, of course, do not reflect my official views or beliefs, but I do think they help put some of the things and the questions we've been asking into context. Our goal here is to help the people closest to the story tell you what they know. And I'm so grateful for each of them, truly, for choosing to speak out even now, 20 years later. And it's also important, I want to give you a content warning right now before we go any further, that there will be talks moving forward in this episode of addiction and sexual assault. So I just wanted to make sure to put that content warning out there. The first gentleman you're going to hear from told me he couldn't really tell me exactly what happened to Tara, but he did want to give more context to the type of life the aunt and he himself were leading back in 2001. And I think he's able to put that into context much better than I am, so I'm really glad we got to talk. Life, for him, has changed since those days, and I'm so proud of him, but he tells the story of knowing two people and the side to every city that nobody really likes to think about. One where drug habits and the desire to fuel them can sometimes lead to more sinister things. Could it have led to murder? Well, let me start off by saying I don't know any details that specifically would, uh, you know, about Tara's situation. But I knew Ant really well. And I knew parts of Ant that most other people didn't know. I don't even, probably not even anyone you've spoken to yet. So you already know that he uh, was very into drugs back then. Um, I I knew Ant in the 90s. We were both part of the same group of uh, young people that would hang out downtown. We called ourselves the Square Rats. Back in the 90s, we would like have massive crowd of young hippie type people that would hang out at the square and look for opportunities to like wander off and smoke weed on campus or you know this or that. And uh, we were both part of that same crowd. I never really liked him. Like as soon as I met him, you know, like you've heard a lot of people say he was very charismatic and well spoken, but I kind of recognized when I met him that that was a front to get people to trust him so that he could get things out of him. He was a really good manipulator. But, you know, needless to say, we were both friends with many of the same people, and so I interacted with him a lot. I actually saw him a lot. We were at the same in the same groups. Um, I've sat underneath the big air conditioner behind the UGA library with him in a big group of people on several occasions doing drugs. Um, and so I got a lot of opportunity to observe him. Well, anyway... After a while, my drug habit got really bad. Like, I ended up homeless, strung out on cocaine, kind of similar to what happened with Ant, um, except I wasn't really, like, robbing people and, you know, doing crime to support my habit. I was more of one of those beggars who would just, you know, just scramble by, do whatever I could, living in the woods and stuff. Um, that would that would have been around 2001 when, when Tara got killed. So, you know, you've heard that Ant kind of turned his life around. Um, he quit doing drugs. Well, fast forward down the road a little bit, I had gotten pretty bad on crystal meth after a while. I found it to be a, like a more, I guess, cost-effective means of, of supporting my addiction. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, I ran across Ant one day. My wife and I had gone to Winder for some kind of errand, and he was at a gas station, and he had this young girl with him and aunt had always had this thing for 
young, easily easy to manipulate chicks. That was that was his thing. He loved ensnaring these girls. So, um, but anyway, we ran across him, and he asked for a ride back into town. And on the way back into town, he realized that we were high. And this is like after he supposedly had cleaned up his life. Um, it was like 2013, and he invited himself over to our place, um, to get high with us. He he bought the rest of the drugs that we had on him and since we didn't have any more drugs left um my wife went to go pick up some more and while i was there at the house him and this girl locked themselves in our bedroom and he spent like three hours doing kind of brutal sexual things with her later on you know i was talking to him and uh he didn't really want to talk about what was going on there he kept saying that that we had uh led him on or something um i i kind of got the impression that that was like his way of making the best of what he thought he was going to get out of us. So anyway, that didn't go over very well. You know, after a while, he, like, accused me of stealing the drugs that he had bought. And we got into this fight, and they they both left. And a few weeks later, this girl shows back up at our house. And she's strung out, and she decided to move in with us because we were always getting high. And she stayed there with us for, like, several months. She was uh She was telling us at that time that she had come to be afraid of him and anyway so after a while she decided to move out she uh she ended up leaving with some other boy that she met and that was pretty common for us back then you know someone would come into our lives we'd get close to them for a little while and then they'd they'd go on because those kind of relationships to us were temporary you know um which was kind of typical of people that are in that sort of that drug subculture you know all right so fast forward a few years later and um, we ran into Aunt and her at the uh, at the Athens Library. My wife saw her, and they went outside to go to like the smoking area and talk. And then when Aunt found out, he got all in an uproar, and he came down there and had this big long discussion with all of us about how he can't have his girl talking to someone that she's had a relationship with. And in the conversation, he started talking about how he liked to dominate. And, and he was always in charge. I, I could tell at that point that he was, like, obsessed with controlling. And, of course, I had, I had already kind of, you know, come to know that, you know, from knowing him back in the 90s and, 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 you know, up until around the time when Tara got killed. So as you can see, what he really speaks to is the person he knew, which he thought was important to add to our conversation, and I'm really grateful for how candid he was with me in speaking about his past. I know that's never easy, so I appreciate his honesty. But I had to ask him, what made him connect all of that with what we're doing here and Ant's possible connection with this case? Here's what he said, and again, these are his personal conclusions. Take a listen. And so, you know, while listening to your podcast, I started to realize that the nature her injuries seemed a lot like someone that would be that would have that kind of mindset you know he was sexually turned on by violence and you know i heard in your podcast that she had like uh bruising and that sounds to me like maybe there was an attempted sexual assault there all right now and i was talking to another friend of mine someone who's actually really close to him just the other day I i had brought up your podcast he had these two friends that were like i guess like his uh his right hand men back in the 90s I want to jump in really quickly to say that this next part of his story will be really important as it comes to one of our next interviews, showing what some say was Ant's ability to elude police on not one, 
but multiple occasions. And they were constantly coming up with these schemes to like get street cred or whatever. Like, um, for instance, one time they uh, they burglarized this guy's house and stole like over a hundred thousand dollars worth of guns, and then somehow managed to get rid of them and shed the investigators on that case. Like nothing ever came of it. But anyway, one of those guys I ran into him the other day. I was talking to him about your podcast and about Ant, and Ant never told him anything directly, but. We came to realize that he was really tight with back then. Uh, I know, the dreaded beep has still returned in 2021, but who was the beep? The spider. He says he knew the spider as well, and here's what he had to say about that. was known for being, like, explosively violent whenever she felt jealous about something. If, if somehow Ant had, like, come to some sort of understanding that he was going to somehow hook up with Tara, which seems very unlikely from Tara's point of view, you know what I mean? But but he was, you know, he was on drugs at the time, and he was already kind of crazy. That doesn't necessarily mean that he wouldn't have, you know, thought something was going on. Maybe the lawyer that he knew, and uh, and I'm pretty sure he did know that lawyer. <clears throat> Maybe he had, like, accompanied him or something, and somehow managed to, uh, you know, somehow managed to find himself in her house. If that, if had found out she would have flipped out and it just it strikes me as they they those two have got to be the most likely candidates i think for this whole thing and it's really unfortunate that there's no way of proving anything and this man was not the only local to come forward the next is a brief snippet from another gentleman who had a few things to say about his knowledge of ants encounters with other women like tara so that's why i'm putting that in here all right so secondhand, I'm, I heard that, that Ant was questioned and that he was one of the last people that was seen with her. He denied that, and, but, uh, but they, they, even though they knew that, he denied that he even knew her. I heard that he uh, was found with her laptop. I do know firsthand that, that Ant stole coke. He also developed a pretty bad crack problem, was uh, slowly spinning out of control. He, uh, was robbing specifically young white girls in the downtown area at Knife Point with the ATMs. I knew him that way before he uh, started coming downtown. Like, like from like middle school, we had some mutual friends met, and he uh, he showed all the signs of somebody who was going to be have narcissistic traits. Now, what I know firsthand is. I had left and went to Florida for several years. When I came back, I was such a base with all the old friends and stuff. I invited him over to the house. We're going to have a barbecue. And I had mentioned something about one of the girls that I used to date and that she didn't want anything to do with me. And she was telling everybody that I was a sociopath. And I said, I said, I don't know if, if you know, if, if, if that's true or not. I think that I could probably kill somebody if I had to. And, and, and his response was, oh, no, I could. And then he just point blank said that he did. He was full of shit a lot, man. He, he taught a lot of shit. And sometimes he was telling the truth and sometimes he wasn't. You never fucking knew. Did he say that Tara was specifically who he had killed? Yeah. Okay. Did he say any details about what he did to her or anything like that? No. Okay. Not to me. So I know we haven't gotten anywhere profound yet, but the stories don't stop there at all. 
You'll now hear from not one, not two, but three women who all knew Aunt very well, but they have a deeper story to tell here, a story that much resembles the story of another woman I mentioned from earlier in the season. They all three say that Aunt, in some way, confessed he was possibly involved in Tara's death to them. I'm going to play parts of all of their interviews, and I'll pop in if there's anything that might need some clarification, because I know this is all very confusing. We call it a web for a reason. Here's the first woman with her story about the aunt, and what she remembers about the things he said to her. He was drunk and crying, and, you know, being sincere, I was one of his oldest friends, and, you know, he was at my house, he had just gotten out of jail, it was, you know, probably 2003, maybe. It was for something else. Yeah, I remember, like, I don't know what brought it up, but he just started crying and talking about it in detail. And, you know, talking about stabbing her and strangling her and then setting her on fire. And to my recollection, it was while she that she was set on fire. But I kind of, at the time, like, he was one of those guys that, like, you know, he he would make stuff up just to get, like, people's reaction, you know, make them believe that he was something he wasn't. So I kind of brushed it off as, like, this is just another one of his bullshit stories. And I didn't follow the news back then, so I'd never heard the story from anywhere else, you know. In fact, over the years, I've only heard mention of this story a couple of times in the news, I've talked to them about it, and I'm like, is this the thing that Aunt did? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, well, shouldn't we tell somebody about this? And, you know, apparently she she told me yesterday that she went and made a statement to the athens Clark County Police eight years ago, which was about the time that we had this conversation before, and I had just going to his house to see him because he kept pestering me about coming to see him. And, you know, I wasn't sure if I believed it or not because he was such a friendly guy back in the day, you know, like, but then he, he had that time when he was, you know, crazy on drugs and I just kind of disassociated from him. I was pregnant. I had a baby in mm-hmm. 2001, so... Like, I wasn't around him during that time, but I can I can tell you that I would not put this past him for mm-hmm. one second. Like, he had that personality. And the type of personality he had, he, ha- he always had, like, a cult following, if that makes sense. I actually went to his house a couple of times towards the end of his life, and... He had multiple women he referred to as his wives, and they all lived in separate bedrooms in his house with kids by him. And whenever any of his friends came over to visit, he ordered them to go stay in the room until we were gone. And that kind of behavior is just weird. <laughs> like, he had, like, in my opinion, he had severe narcissistic personality disorder. And I know that that can tend to cause, like, rage in some people. And he was that type, especially drug-induced. And I know that there was other reports of him, like, chasing people around with swords at the time. And just a, a bunch of crazy stuff. And then, you know, like, 
I had vague recollections of him telling me this because, like I said, I just kind of brushed it off as oh, this is just another one of his bullshit stories. And then once I talked to Trish about it, she's like, you don't remember? He was there and he told us this whole story. And it came back to me, but as I was listening to your podcast, like, and hearing details, like, it just, all I could think about, like, I couldn't even think about the other people being guilty because I just, I just felt that Ant was definitely guilty for this, you know? And just knowing his personality, uh, I feel like, he's the only one that could have, could have been capable of this and then continue his life. And then he went even beyond that to go out in the public eye and make public speeches and go to middle schools. And like, it was like he was trying to make up for something. Having said that, I, I don't necessarily think this was his only uh, murder. Now, the woman mentions here the murder of another one of her friends in which a fire was involved. Now, someone else was convicted in that murder, so we're going to leave it out of the conversation for now. But I think it's interesting that she brought that up as it relates to Ant and the similarities between the two. What was odd to me was that I heard about this fire and Ant messaged me like the next day or the day after. And this was after I had directly asked him about the, the killing of that uh, girl. And he completely sidestepped the question with, you know, like passing the blame of, like comparing it to stealing money from him years ago. Like, if I believe... But he, he never denied it. He, he, never, he never denied it. Never. Like, not even, you know, he said, like, people like to say a lot of things and... Um, people like to say that I killed and raped that girl, but, you know, people say that the, the older you get, the more people say there, it is what it is. And as long as it doesn't affect me and anyone that's close to me, I don't care. So by this point, I really am wondering two things. Number one, did she ever have any encounters with the spider? And number two, did Aunt ever allude to her why he would have gone to 160 Fawn Drive. No, but I remember him telling me that his girlfriend was there. At the murder of Kara? Yes. Okay. I remember him telling me that things got out of hand and they were really high and that all this stuff happened and it just got out of hand and he wasn't really sure, like, how it got to that point, but it did. Did he, did he implicate or imply that it was a robbery gone wrong or something like that? Or no. Um, my impression was that it was done for fun. Wow. So just random. And Tara was the random Like victim? a sadistic thing. Like they enjoyed torturing this girl. Mm. But I did have a friend tell me that he told them that he went over there to sell weed and that he tried to rape her and she fought him off with a knife, which he then got and stabbed her with, and that he burnt her to cover up the evidence. He told me that he was cleared. Like, when the one time I talked to him about it, it was a very quick conversation, and he said, oh, yeah, I was cleared years ago. They called me in for questioning. I was cleared because the guy they were looking for was white. 
it was either everyone knew Ant did it, or everyone knew Ant did it, but then it was cleared, you know? Now, I do want to pop in here because I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I caught up with everyone at Fawn Drive and in Tara's closest circle. All of them agree Tara nor her roommates would have been buying drugs. But there's only one person in her close circle that we've really had to have that conversation about over our time doing this together, right? You remember who that is, a young attorney. Anyway, the next woman also knew Aunt, and just for the record, she did not know the spider. She spoke about a time that Aunt got really emotional and told her, too, that he had killed Tara Louise Baker. It's kind of weird because uh, I started listening to your podcast early on, and like, maybe like the third or fourth episode, and I, I was interested because I wanted to see if information about Aunt came out, you know, or what might find out about him, and because I, it was kind of like, I've always known, you know, everyone, it's like we've always known he did it or whatever, but no one's, nothing's ever come of it. He told me, and my boyfriend, he came over, I, and I can't even remember what year it was or when it was. It's been a very long time ago. Um, it would probably be, I mean, it, a long time ago, 2000, 2001. Anyway, uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> so we, um, he came over and he was smoking crack. He, we thought he was going to smoke something else. And so we were like, yeah, yeah, let's smoke. He had always been one of the group. Yeah, he's just one of us. And then somewhere along the way, he was like, he became, I guess, he got on into drugs really bad. And we, uh, I know we really, I, I was one of the last people to find out about it. So we were still kind of hanging out with him, but he, he wanted to smoke crack. And we were like, all right, no. And so he went out on the porch and he smoked and he came back in. And we were trying to talk to him about it, about it. We were just like, hey, you know, why are you smoking that? You know, it's so bad. And, like, he started crying. He tears up. He's just like, I've done things. He's like, I've done things that, you know, I can't, you know, I, I can't even remember. I, you know, he was just talking about I've done things. I've done things that I can't be forgiven for, stuff like that. And he was, he was basically saying that's why he had to, he had to. He had to smoke this crack because he couldn't forget about these things. And he's like, and he's like, Y'all heard about that murder? Y'all heard about that? We were like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, that was me. I did that. Like, and he, he I mean, he, and he was just crying. Uh, he got it all upset, and uh, we were like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, we were still just like, like what? So, you know? And then, and uh, he said she was fighting him and wouldn't stop fighting him, and he had to kill her. And like, and that's basically pretty much what he said about it. And we were like, what the hell are you talking You know, we were just like, this is insane. We were like, I don't think we, we didn't even think, we talked about it, we didn't think it was real. We were like, why would he even say he killed a girl? He's so stupid, you know, like, so, and then pretty much, and then he had to go to a rap show. But he was all upset. He was like, I gotta, I gotta keep smoking this. I gotta, cause I gotta clear my mind or I can't rap. And that was his thing. He's like, I gotta get all this out of my head. And he's like, and he, he was just flipping out. We were like, you should go now. Did he say it was? Did he say Tara's name? Yes, he said that girl Tara Baker. Mm. Yeah, he's like y'all heard about that girl Tara Baker. Mm. Yeah, because it, it was like it had just happened. I mean, it hadn't just happened, but it was still kind of like an open thing in the news or whatever. So you've probably been wondering, did these people go to the police? And no, the next woman is the only person you've heard from who did. And I'll tell you why. Some of them say that they didn't go forward because at the time they really didn't believe Ant. 
Others say they didn't come forward because they were told he had been cleared. And we know now that Ant gave police incorrect information, which removed probably much of the suspicion and accusations swirling around him, his possible involvement, or at the very least, his possible knowledge. The question is, was that information incorrect because he was purposefully misleading police, or because he was genuinely not involved? I think the next woman's interview might answer that question for all of us a little better, because it seems that Ant was not only, like I said, bragging about his involvement in this case, but bragging that he had played the athens Clark County Police Department. But yeah, so eight years ago, uh, I had talked to a friend of mine that was a cop. Eight years ago, roughly, me and a guy I was dating at the time went to my friend's house, and um, they were like, they were getting high and stuff like that, and I showed up to say, hey, I'm on a journey, I'm way for this time, and Ant was really fucked up, like, just really, really messed up on, I don't know what. Maybe it was just wrong weed. I have come out wrong. We went out there to smoke a cigarette and he came out and he was like, um, he started crying and he was just like, man, we killed that girl, we killed that girl, blah, blah. Now, he said Deer Park specifically, but I'm thinking of Deer Park on Disney Ridge, not the one on the east side. And I was like, doing not that. Well, it does matter because I just thought that it happened over there and I really didn't follow the story. Now, I've chosen to censor this part of our interview simply because it details a very sadistic and violent sexual assault, one I think that police definitely should look at as it pertains to some of Tara's injuries. And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. And then my boyfriend was like, where the hell have you taken me? And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm really sorry. After that, the guy never really wanted to hang out with me again. I mean, like, we stayed friends, but he was just like, whoa. But then it was later, you know, I saw the billboards and stuff, and it was Carol Baker and Miss Ward and all the things that people were talking about. And I was like, what happened to that girl? And then it dawned on me. And I ran into him, and I looked at him, and I said, so I see the billboards. He was like, yeah, man, they had me. They had me. They had me. And he laughed about it. He was like, man, I'll tell you, the police are so fucking stupid. They're this and that. You know, that's how those were his words, of course. And I was just like, holy shit. That's who you were talking about. And he just went, ha, ha, ha. And, like, I was like, okay. So, after that, I did not mess with him again. So, when I realized, you know, I put it together, well, my friend's still really close friends with him, but she just accepts everybody. She doesn't care if they're messed up people or whatever, you know. And I was like, he killed that damn girl. He told me about it on your porch. He was talking about it in front of you. Y'all were just fucked up that night, ago. And my boyfriend at the time was freaked out. Like, I've never seen a grown man that scared I'm like what like and uh anyway it just so eight years ago and he basically accosted my husband and told him to tell me to keep my his name out of my mouth and that me and him used to be best friends and all these things he came home and he was very distraught because he's like i don't know this man 
and he is not the type of person who is anybody that I used to hang out with or deal with or whatever. He was just like, you know, I don't want to be part of this. What the hell is going on? And when I told him, he said, you need to go to the cops and just be done with it. Right after that, I got a job working adjustments, and you know, they kept a pair of Baker thing on their door. And it was like everything happened eight years ago. Everything just kept pointing to that, and I called the cops, and I said, listen, and I talked to my manager and the owner of Jumpman, and they were both like, yeah, you can have the cops come here, no problem, which was kind of strange because they're so, like, anti-authority or whatever. <laughs> you know, when I was on my shift, and we sat down in the back of the office, and we talked, and I was just like, you know, um, this is all the information I have, and I mean, at that point, it was eight or nine years old, you know, and I was like, you guys had him, he laughed about the fact that you had him, you know, because he went to prison for something else. And he said, those ends had me. They had me, man. All they had to do, man, and they had me. And he was laughing about it. And after that point was when I didn't mess with him. And of course, he went to prison when he got out. And then, you know, he did that stuff, I don't know, whatever. Well, short, uh, right before he died, called me and said, listen, I hate to ask you, but Ant needs money, and I want to give him some money. I don't really care what it's for. Um, can you, will you go to the bank and give him cash? And I said, are you kidding me? And she was like, please just do it for me. And I was just like, ugh. So I got up and went to the bank, and he pulled up, and I walked out of the bank, and I handed him the envelope of the money that she wanted me to give him, $100, whatever it was. And he was like, I just want you to know that I love you and I don't, I am mad at you for trying to knock me out or something like that. And I said, look, I said, whatever, you know what I know. You know how I feel. I was like, and I don't care what you do, we're not friends. I can't be friends with somebody like you. Says, well, I love you and I wanted you to be my wife. And I was like, I bent down and I looked at his wife and I said, it's a pleasure meeting you. And he said, I really do love you. And I said, yep. And I walked away. And then he died like two months later. He knew that I knew. And I mean, okay, maybe he was lying. And he did say that it was his boy, but his girlfriend knew about it. They were just basically like, okay, okay. And he said, do you know where he said it happened? And I said, well, he said, your park is not over on the new bridge. And the guy said, uh... And because I said that's over on the bridge, but it was because I ran into Ant at the gas station there previously. When he said Deer Park, there is a Deer Park over there, so I just assumed it was one on the bridge. And just a minor clarification here, there is a Deer Trail off of Newton Bridge, so pretty easy probably for one to confuse. You know, once I had access to the internet and I looked into it, I was like, oh shit, that was on the east side, and that's... And of course, one question I always like to ask people that went to the police. Did they ever follow up with you again? Here's what she had to say. No, I told them I didn't care about the reward. I just couldn't keep coming to work looking at that reward sign with her picture on it, knowing what I knew and not saying anything. And I told them, I mean, even if this solves the case, he hung out with different people that in every aspect of the, of the word, like... 
he had friends in all different circles. He had crackheads, he had gangbangers, he had drug dealers, he had, you know, white preppy girls just fawning over him. Was, you know, in and out of, and, and that's why his name was versatile. Because he was a narcissistic sociopath that was manipulative as all get out, and he could, it was against to him back when we were friends to begin with. The reason why, there were a couple of times where I was just like, dude, I can't be your friend. But he had a little friend, and um, I showed up one night to drop off some stuff for them because they were in a, in a bad way, and um, I heard him down the hall. He shit out of her, and she was this little white girl that had everything. And he was just getting her to drain her parents' bank account, whatever. She was a little college student living over there. And, um, you know, he taunted me with the fact that he knew I knew this stuff. And he remembered telling me, I just don't understand why, if he didn't do it, he would have told me that so many years ago. And then for him to taunt me, but then again, he was a screwed up person. Like, half of me would just chalk it to the side and be like, well, Oh, well, that's our county finest, you know, you know, very narcissistic, very and proud. He just, he was just kind of evil in a sense, but he was like really a great person in many, many ways. Say that thinking that he did this, but it's like he was heaven and hell. And I knew him, I knew him since I was what, 16. He just, every good thing in his life, he just messed it up and you know, after a while, you know, I was just like, I can't help you and I can't be your friend. When I just put the aunt up there and then my friends started doing the same thing, I was just like, yep, everybody knows. Um, you know, there's so many people that, you know, that had been around and he's like, yeah, whatever, we killed that bitch. You know, like, but then he was crying about it. And then it's just, there comes a point where you have to live, you have kids, you're, you're living, you know, and you're just like, damn, I don't know what to do. And I remember the moment when I was looking at all this stuff on Facebook where you actually jumped on there and said, hey guys, you know, just please keep in mind that her mom's on here, her family, you know, and stuff. And it, I think that that's the point when I'm just like, I know that part of what I know is accurate. He has something to do with it. And, you know, even when I listened to or read this stuff and listened to, I listened to like two of your podcasts and none of them were pointing at and they were talking about the janitor, not the janitor, but the groundskeeper or whatever. And, uh, and when I, when I saw the one that said there's an ant in the whatever, I was like, oh fuck, they did it. You know, like, I just want you to know that no one has forgotten about her. Like... I wanted to ask her if she had any insight about why people would be so reluctant to come forward until recent weeks, and here's what she had to say about that. You don't narc. It's so freaking weird that it's like that, but it, it makes sense when you live that lifestyle and, and when you're part of those people, and I don't mean those people in that aspect. You know, like, even, even like me going to the cops, it was so hard. It was so hard for me to just be like, you know, I, I don't do that. We, I come from a generation where I don't call the cops on you. I will handle everything myself. And if I'm not big enough to get you, I know someone who is. It's like, no, they murdered a girl 
it was innocent. She did not deserve to die that way. I want to take a moment again to thank all of these people for reaching out to me and taking time to speak so confidently. While I cannot corroborate their stories, of course, as I simply wasn't there, what I can do is present these stories to you along with the other information we found. And it's really interesting when you hear these stories and then go back and listen to other episodes related to Ant or to the attorney or to things that were happening in Deer Park in 2001. I can tell you that there are things that some of these people even mentioned that really made me feel that Ant was not just looking for street credit or asking for attention, that something really bothered him about what happened to Tara, so much so that he felt the need to bring it up seemingly many times when he was high, and that it was something that he was trying perhaps to get away from. I think he had to know what had to go on at Tara Baker's home there, I'll say it, particularly with all the things that I've personally heard. The question then remains, did he kill Tara? Or did someone associated with him kill Tara? Or did someone ask him or invite him to Tara's home? All of these could be possible, and perhaps this might be as close as we ever come, though I am not giving up hope, and we do still have some more things to talk about. But I can tell you this. A detective close to this case has told me that Ant would be one of the number one people he would interview again if he were still alive. And I think that says a lot, especially for a case that many people weren't even talking about a year ago. I am going to say this too. It's hard for me to believe in all of these coincidences, like I called them earlier, all of these overlapping lines. Is it really a coincidence that Ant knew so many details? Is it really a coincidence that the spider was hanging out with him at the time and then set a fire similarly shortly thereafter and was connected with the same folks, including the man who says he was brought Tara's laptop? Gosh, that's a lot for me even to get out. I don't also think it's a coincidence that the person shouted this at Miss Virginia, and I don't think it's a coincidence that many people are speaking out now 20 years later. It seems like many of them have tried to speak out all along, and those who didn't wish they might have. The question still remains, though, if Ant and perhaps the spider or some of his other friends were involved and killed Tara, why? That's always the question, right? And how would they have gotten access? And you've heard several theories from witnesses today. And as I was listening back to some of my interviews over the holidays and thinking about Dr. Parati and former FBI profiler Jeffrey Reinick, I think that Dr. Parati would probably want to know who gave these people access to Tara's home, or how did the perpetrators have access? And I think Jeff Reinick would say, as he said several times, that he doesn't think the person who came to her home came there with the initial intent of killing her. Something went wrong. And along with Ant and his connection with the spider, you all know there's someone who a lot of people still came forward about. Someone who could have stopped by Tara's home. In fact, had really great reason to the day before her birthday. Someone who couldn't go out with Tara for her birthday Friday night. Someone that we've been told was soliciting drugs from Ant in 2001. Someone we've been told by several people that he and Ant were, at the very least, hanging out in the same spaces, and at the very most might have even known one another. 
someone who we know exhibited, according to several witnesses, odd behaviors in the days following Tara's death, including possibly being high on drugs, having scratches, and reportedly showing up to a co-worker's home implicating Tara's biological father. Could this all be where the attorney comes in? We're going to continue reviewing that with the family, with our expert guests, and some of those who have helped us out along the way most. We're working to finalize our final interviews, thoughts, and making our final case as we move toward the 20th anniversary of Tara's death and celebration of, yes, her birthday later this month. Stay tuned, write us your thoughts, and let's end this together closer to the truth while remembering Tara in such a very unique way. We have a way to do that that we think all of you are going to enjoy being a part of. And I can't wait for our podcast to be a part of honoring her life and, as one of her co-workers once put it, celebrating the love that Tara had for others. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're going to be right back here next week. I'm Cameron J. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J., and co-produced by Kyle Kazaya. Be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook at Classic City Crime. Visit us on the web at ClassicCityCrime.com. And for story tips or more information on the Tara Baker story, feel free to contact us at ClassicCityCrime at gmail.com. Stay safe, be well, see you next week.